Articles of Faith is a weekly interview show featuring scholars and writers who have written about the doctrines and teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Articles of Faith is a production of Fair Mormon and is hosted by Nick Galletti. David L. Paulson received an associate's degree from Snow College in English in 1957, a bachelor's degree from BYU in political science in 1961, in which he was BYU's valedictorian, a Juris Doctorate from the University of Chicago Law School in 1964, and a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Michigan in 1975, with an emphasis in philosophy of religion. His doctoral dissertation, entitled The Comparative Coherency of Mormon and Classical Theism, was said by two philosophers critical of LDS theology to be by far the most detailed and comprehensive defense of Mormon theism. He is the author of an article in BYU Studies entitled A Mother There, A Survey of Historical Teachings About Mother in Heaven. Olson is married to Audrey Lucille Lear and has six children and 18 grandchildren. They have recently returned from a mission in Iceland, I believe. That's right. So, so welcome, David Paulson. Thank you. It's Thank good you to be for here. coming in. So now you taught at BYU for almost forty years. Is yes, that right? I did. Uh, what What was the tipping point? What was the decision where you just said, "This, that's it. Forty years. I'm I'm done. I'm ready." Well, well at least uh, two factors. Number one, uh, you know, most people retire at about sixty five. I was just a few months short of being seventy five. <laughs> But also, uh, I had been diagnosed uh, with Parkinson's disease, which uh, results uh, in memory lapses, and I was beginning to experience some of those memory lapses, and I think that uh, impacted my teaching. Well, that's but, understandable. But, uh, but more important, uh, the night Audrey and I got engaged, we talked about what we wanted to do in our lives want to talk how many children we're going to have, and et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that we decided on was that we were going to serve a mission together. Audrey had served a mission to Germany as a young woman, and I had served in the Northern States Mission as a young man. But we wanted to serve together. And so we were afraid if I continued to teach at BYU, uh, uh, we wouldn't be able to go on a mission together. So a church mission was uh, the major factor in handing in my resignation papers. And th that was to Iceland? Did you guys get to choose that? or No, no? we didn't. Uh, in fact, uh, when we filled out our missionary applications, uh, senior couples can express a preference, unlike young sisters and elders. We uh, recommended uh, Denmark oh. for our mission. Family, family uh, connection, maybe? Uh, Five-eighths of my ancestors come from Denmark. Okay. We'd been to Denmark. In the year uh, 2005, they celebrated the sesquicentennial of the arrival of, or the year 2000 it was, the arrival of the first uh, missionaries in, in Denmark. And so in the year 2000, they had a commemoration of the arrival of the first Mormon missionaries. We attended that. I read a paper on Kierkegaard and Joseph Smith, and, and we were there for 10 days in Denmark. We fell in love with Denmark. Awesome. So that's where we wanted to go. And so uh, when we got our mission call, it said Denmark. <laughs> and we were excited. <laughs> and uh, about a week after we got our mission call, we got a phone call from the mission president. And he welcomed us uh, to his mission. And he said, you should know that uh, our mission also includes Greenland and Iceland. 
And Sister Paulson said, how exciting. <laughs> and he says, you want to serve in Iceland? No. <laughs> anyway, uh, Sister Paulson said, well, uh, wherever the Lord wants us to serve. It, it turned out that Iceland was, was part of the Danish mission. So we ended up being in the Danish mission, but they changed our assignment specifically to Iceland. And if okay. you go to Iceland, you're in Iceland for the entire 18 months. Wow. So that's where we were. And we Excellent. grew to love Iceland, although we were a bit disappointed Oh, did you to start stop through with. Denmark on your way home? No, we didn't. We, oh. we flew directly to the U.S. from Iceland coming home. So well, we didn't some... get to Denmark all the time we were in Iceland. Oh, that's no... Well, that's all right. It's still a beautiful area. <laughs> yeah. Well, before retiring, you, you spoke and wrote on philosophical themes. Yes. Um, but prior to getting into philosophy, you 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 spent some time as in, in legal practice. Yes, I did. But what, what changed you from, from that into more of a philosophical approach? Well, uh, I spent four years practicing law full-time. And uh, the firm I worked with most of the time, Curtin & McConkie, was the firm that represented uh, the, the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was still single, and so I attended a singles ward at the University of Utah. And uh, they asked me to be the gospel doctrine teacher in the ward, which I gladly accepted and did. But uh, in the gospel doctrine classes, uh, there were students uh, who were taking classes in philosophy across campus that had uh, questions raised in their minds and so they brought their philosophical questions uh, to my gospel doctrine class. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be able to adequately respond to their questions, I ought to uh, enroll in some evening courses in philosophy. Wow, that's so that's dedicated. what I started to do. And I took evening courses in philosophy for about four years. Uh, but near the end of that four years, uh, I was approached by the chair of the philosophy department indicating that they had a fellowship in philosophy and asked me if I would be interested in applying because if I applied, I would get it. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, that uh, raised, uh, you know, uh, an issue in my mind. Do I, do I want to go back and study philosophy? I finally decided I did. I, I didn't enroll at the University of Utah. I enrolled at the University of Michigan. But, uh, but it was mainly uh, an attempt uh, to prepare myself better to answer philosophical questions about our faith uh, that uh, motivated me to give up my law practice, get a degree in philosophy, which I got, and then for 40 years to teach it. Yeah, I guess you didn't regret that calling or decision. No, no, I, I, I've never regretted it. Excellent. I love teaching uh, philosophy, and I've had the privilege of uh, publishing extensively in philosophical journals in defense of the faith. I have uh, two articles in the Harvard Theological Review, for example, defending our doctrine of divine embodiment and, and uh, in other journals defending our faith. Excellent. I'm going to have to track those down. Yeah. If, if I can, I'll, I'll pr- try and w- put them in Would you like time. me to uh, send you uh, a bibliography? Sure. Of, of published work? Yeah, if we could put that up. Uh, on, on the website, we'd, we'd be happy yeah, to do that. I'd be glad to have you do that. So, so we talked a little bit in your introduction about this doctoral dissertation that you talked you know, that you had on philosophy. Uh, one of my favorite books 
is a book called Think Independently by Chauncey Riddle, who you you probably ran into it. Yeah. Um, I haven't read his book, but I know Chauncey. Yeah. Well, he he's, he's of course, also now retired, and, and yes. there's a similar theme to this idea of philosophy and religion and how they how they dovetail. What what caused you to feel that you needed to discuss those two together? Since uh, I became acquainted with a, a large number of uh, college-age people who uh, were having problems with uh, their faith in the restored gospel because of philosophical questions. Was there anyone in particular uh, that you can think of? Any student in particular? Uh, theme, uh, a oh, question. Well, yes, uh, one major issue is the issue of the problem of evil. Mm. Uh, if God is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, uh, then why is there so much evil, so much suffering in human experience? And uh, I uh, was asked to give a devotional address at BYU. Uh, I can't remember the year now, but it was in the 1990s. Uh, and I gave a paper entitled Joseph Smith and the Problem of Evil. I uh, explained how insights that uh, came to us through the prophet Joseph Smith uh, provide a solution uh, to uh, the philosophical problem of evil. Excellent. So we'll we'll have a probably a link to that as well on this episode. So yes. I guess a, among your other articles is one that uh, addresses this subject that uh, perhaps might be difficult for some, um, maybe even an, a, a rational conclusion for others, but that is the subject of the being of Heavenly Mother, or Mother in Heaven, uh, comes with many referential titles. Um, yes. But we, we should probably give credit where credit is due on this article. You had a research partner and other contributors on I this did. article. Who, who are they uh, well, and how did they contribute? Students have uh, contributed to most of uh, the articles that I've published. I've always had student uh, research assistants. And uh, so it's been great to work with students in, in working on articles that were, were, were published. Uh, for uh, Heavenly Mother, I had uh, five students, but uh, the student who performed uh, the greatest amount of work was uh, Martin Paluto. And uh, his research and, and his help with the organization and writing of the article was such that I thought it was only appropriate that he be listed as a co-author. Excellent. By the way, um, uh, Marty's continued to, to work in this area. I just found out after the fact that a week ago at uh, BYU, they had a, a conference uh, in which Marty had invited people to do artwork expressing their appreciation uh, for Heavenly Mother. Interesting. Uh, you know, it, it, our information about Heavenly Mother begins with uh, a poem. And so uh, he had other people, I guess, write poems or or uh, draw pictures or, or, you know, do other forms of art. Uh, I'm not really familiar with the details. I just barely heard about it. But uh, so he's continued uh, his work in this area with uh, being the co-sponsor of of this conference on art and Heavenly Mother. Interesting. I'll have to check that out too. Boy, you're giving me all kinds of stuff yeah, to go look yeah, up. Right. <laughs> well, actually, your article does start out kind of referring to 
let's call it that poem. Uh, yes. You have a quote here that I'd like to give to kind of introduce things. Uh, it says, quote, penned in 1845 by Sister Eliza R. Snow, who would later serve as the Relief Society General President from December 18, 1867 to December 5th, 1887. These lines from our beloved hymn, O My Father, are perhaps the best-known reference in Latter-day Saint literature to a mother in heaven. Written and published within months of Joseph Smith's death, these and other lines give considerable evidence that the prophet taught of a mother in heaven, even if he did so only implicitly or restrictively to certain limited audiences. So, of course, we're referring to the the, the lines in the hymn, O My Father, where it talks about there being a mother in heaven. Yes. Truth is, is reason. Yes. Truth eternal tells me I have a mother there, even for Eliza R. Snow. It sounds as if uh, this is not uh, just revelation, but this is uh, based on reason. And truth, previous truth, discussion. Is, truth is reason. Truth eternal tells me I have a mother there. Yeah. But uh, but uh, she indicated that Joseph had taught her in 1844 before his death uh, about a mother in heaven. Is that pretty much the first source that we we have on this subject? Yes, as far as I know, yes. Okay. Well, people did go on to talk about it, uh, other yeah. other individuals. Um, has Has anyone ever really claimed to have... Any vision of her? I mean, we've had visions of Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Has, has there ever been enough? You know, I don't know about people individually, but uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, church leaders, uh, I'm not aware of okay. anyone claiming any such vision or any revelation. In fact, you know, when President Hinckley made a number of important uh, statements uh, during the 1990s on Heavenly Mother, he he made it very clear that uh, we have no we have no revelation. We have a lot of statements regarding her existence. Yes, that we have that indeed. So there there's there's kind of a teaching. There's a lot, well, there's a lot of teachings that have kind of made up what I would call a folklore. Yes. In, in Mormon culture, regarding who she is, what her role is, how we are to respond to her. Yes. Um, in fact, one of those things that you address in your article is that uh, it's too sacred to talk about. Uh, you mm-hmm. call it sacred censorship. W- where did that come from, and is there any substance to that idea? You know, I don't think so. I'm giving you my, my own personal <laughs> opinion. Okay. Uh, I... I I certainly believe deeply in Heavenly Mother, and I do believe that uh, uh, she is a sacred person. But so is Heavenly Father, for that matter. Uh, I I I don't think that sacredness per se is a reason for silence. That's my own personal opinion. Well, where did it come from? Were there were there statements? that led people to believe this, or was this just kind of a collective assumption? You know, again, uh, my memory isn't too good uh, <laughs> anymore. Uh, so I'm, uh, I, there's been a number of church leaders, and I think I quote some of them, that have made the statement that, uh, that uh, she is too sacred to be talked about. And I think I cite uh, a couple of statements, but I'd have to look at my article again to give you the people who Fair said enough. it. We'll point people to it. Um, but what, well, what other warnings might there be 
regarding a discussion of Heavenly Mother or Godmother. Would, is she to be worshipped? Um, is she part of the Godhead? And do we pray to her? I mean, these are some of the questions that people will naturally ask if she yes. is this divine being. Yes. Uh, I, uh, I personally do not know why we do not pray to her. But we have been instructed uh, not to pray uh, to uh, Heavenly Mother. Why? I don't know. But, no, it follows uh, the pattern that Christ set. Uh, yes, uh, in fact, uh, I think it's President Hinckley that uh, makes the very point that you're alluding to. Uh, when Christ taught us to pray, he taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father. After this manner, pray ye. And, uh, and then he prays to Heavenly Father. So, yes, we have explicit instructions as to how to pray and to whom to pray by, uh, by the Savior. So I think that provides a basis uh, for not praying to Heavenly Mother. I don't know why, but it does provide us the what. <laughs> right. So as, as the song, Oh My Father, alludes, there's been kind of this longing in the undercurrents of Mormon thought for a connection to this feminine divine. So how much of what we read is, is, is actual doctrine, official teachings, or just simply the conclusions that people have come to based on their own longings, their own want, desire to, to connect with that? Well, you know, in terms of the, the many points that I make in my paper, I think uh, the latter, rather than, you know, a, a directive... Okay. Uh, from uh, the leadership of the church. The directive from the leadership has been not to pray to, to the Heavenly Mother, uh, but, uh, but certainly people have inclinations in that direction. But, but so far, instruction from President Hinckley and others has been clear. So, I mean, from, from what I've been able to read and after going through your article, there are very few that would question her existence. Yes, I don't know of anyone, any, you know, prominent leader of the church that would question her existence. And, and I, I think that's, that's a, an acknowledged fact. We've talked the, about it in the family proclamation, correct? Yes. That's probably the most recent yes. official declaration that there are heavenly parents. Yes. Okay. Yes, her existence uh, has been affirmed and reaffirmed by uh, presidents of the church and church leaders. As I as I've kind of looked at the quotes that you have in your article, yes. and, which there's a lot. Your research assistants did a great job. They did. There, there's a there's a, it's very a very thorough survey of of the the quotes that have been put out there. But from what I've studied and from what I've read, are our heavenly parents this almost androgynous concept of deity, or is it more that they are both individual? They they possess individual qualities that make them unique, but because they're so combined and unified that we see them as one in that regard? I, I like your suggestion. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so so really, in, when we talk about praying to, to Heavenly Father, in, in essence, one could assume then that they're, they're praying to both of them. I, I, I certainly uh, can accept the fact that uh, Heavenly Mother is uh, privy to all of our prayers. <laughs> She's included. Uh, even though we don't pray directly to her, I think she is certainly aware. Well, why, why was this such a, a 
potent subject for you to begin with. I mean, it seems like acceptance of her existence is not satisfactory to some. You mean mere acceptance? Or, yeah. And uh, we, we, they want more. Yeah. Yeah. You included. Well, yes. Yes, I would like to know more. I had a belief in Heavenly Mother from as early as I can remember. And one of the reasons was uh, because, as, a, as I mentioned, a little personal blurb, uh, growing up in the Ephraim North Ward, Ephraim, Utah, uh, we often sang the song, Oh, My Father. It was in our hymn book, in everybody's hymn book. I don't know if other people sang it as much as we did in the Ephraim North Ward, but I, I remember that. Truth is reason tells me I have a mother there. I noticed that even in the hymn, it's not purporting uh, revelation. Sure. It's saying uh, truth is reason, truth eternal, tells me I have a mother there. So even the hymn suggests that we don't have a revelatory basis for that, uh, that belief. Is there some way that you could say that this is, is, is this a unique teaching to Mormonism, that there is well, a heavenly mother? You know, uh, not anymore. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I published an article about 2005, 2006, I think it was. 2005, uh, I participated uh, in a symposium hosted by the Library of Congress commemorating uh, the, the, uh, the 2005 what, the bicentennial of Joseph Smith's birth. Right. And I wrote an article, Joseph Smith Challenges the Theological World. Uh, that I delivered at the Library of Congress and was subsequently published. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, in my research, I, I was amazed to find significant movement on a number of issues in classical Christian groups toward Mormon ideas. And so just a year later, after the Library of Congress, Joseph Smith challenges the theological world I published another article entitled, Are Christians Mormon? <laughs> Reappraising Joseph Smith's theology in his bicentennial. And I identified seven teachings of Joseph that were considered uh, heretical by other Christians toward which now there is significant Christian movement. And believe it or not, one of the, the doctrines toward which there is significant Christian movement was belief in the divine feminine. Is this, uh, is this because maybe a rise in feminism type of thing? That, that could be. That could be. Uh, that could, you know, be, be an explanation. Uh, so uh, I submitted a copy of my article uh, when about, oh, I don't know, not, not too long before we left on our missions to Ashgate, uh, a well-known British publisher. And uh, they, uh, they contracted to, to publish uh, my expansion of that article into a book, Are Christians Mormon? Uh, so, but I haven't got back to work on it yet. Oh, but, that's too uh, bad. I'd love to read it's it. Been, it's been in limbo while we've you know, been in the mission field and then readjusting. So uh, in that article, uh, I will point out significant movement in some Christian quarters toward belief in the divine feminine. 
Excellent. Well, you know, one of the, the reasons that I look at this issue is because there has been kind of a, a, a growing discourse on the role of women uh-huh. and, you know, wh- what what part do they play in, yes. in the gospel plan. Yes. And your your article ends with a beautiful quote regarding Heavenly Mother and her involvement in our, in our daily lives um, uh, from President Harold B. Lee. And then there's another one that I'd like to read later from Elder Glenn L. Pace. Yes. Um, but the first one from President Lee says, Sometimes we think the whole job is up to us, forgetting that there are loved ones beyond our sight who are thinking about us and our children. We forget that we have a Heavenly Father and a Heavenly Mother who are even more concerned, probably, than our earthly father and mother, and that influences from beyond are constantly working to try and help us when we do all we can. So this is from President Harold B. Lee yes. giving giving her more of a daily yes. application in our lives. In our lives. Then there's this quote from, from Elder Glenn Pace, which actually is probably my favorite quote. I loved it when I heard it. In fact, uh, I think I was working on the paper when he delivered that devotional address, oh. and I thought, oh, boy. It's <laughs> <laughs> timely. Yeah, this was actually given uh, at a 2010 BYU devotional, and this article came out in 2011. So, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, he said, quote, Sisters, I testify that when you stand in front of your heavenly parents in those royal courts on high, and you look into her eyes and behold her countenance, any question you have ever had about the role of women in the kingdom will evaporate into the rich celestial air, because at that moment you will see standing directly in front of you your divine nature and destiny, end quote. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I remember tearing up when I heard that. I thought, oh my, I mean, the, the article was just about finished, and then I heard his address and thought, here's the capstone. Absolutely. Let me make one final, Please do. final point. Uh, when I returned from my mission... I had a phone conversation with Jack Welch at BYU Studies. Mm -hmm. He said, you will be delighted to know that uh, BYU Studies received a phone call from church headquarters indicating that if anybody wanted a copy of a mother there, BYU Studies is to provide it to them free of charge. Fantastic. It's a beautiful article, and it, it represents... Not only a good spiritual message, but good scholarship. I want to encourage people to go uh, take a look at the article, A Mother There, a survey of historical teachings about mother in heaven. We will post a link to that uh, with this episode at blog.fairmormon.org. But David Paulson, thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Articles of Faith with your host, Nick Galetti. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes. Questions or comments can be sent to podcast at fairmormon.org. Tune in each Monday for another episode of Articles of Faith. Thank you for listening.